Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. This is the Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the Metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world. All on the Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Hash here on Coindesk TV. Squad's all here. Let's do this thing. I'm Zach Seward. We got Wendy O, Jen Sinassi, and Will Foxley. Lots going on. Let's get into this thing. Will, lead us off with some fresh news. The USD situation. Happy Valentine's Day, guys. Come on. Yeah. A little love here Come on, on the show. Zach, right? you Happy missed Valentine's it. Day. Turn over to Binance land. We have more information about the BUSD lawsuit between Paxos and the SEC with Changpeng Zhao, or CZ, as he's commonly referred to in industry. He is the CEO of Binance, which, is, uh, which uses the BUSD stablecoin. Uh, Paxos is the issuer and audits the BOSD stablecoin. The SEC is going after it, after labeling it unregistered security. This, of course, has great importance for Binance, which uses this stablecoin for the entirety of its ecosystem. There's billions of BOSD out there in Ether, and people use it to trade on Binance quite a bit. And now that the SEC is going against Paxos, the issuer of BOSD, that portends some trouble for Binance. CZ in a Twitter spaces and in a Twitter thread yesterday said that they are distancing themselves a little bit from this, saying that, hey, we don't create it. Paxos creates us. We just allow them to license our name and to create the stablecoin. And then we use it. And we might have some reserves for it, but it's not really us. This is more of a Paxos issue. He said in that Twitter thread. A little bit of an interesting stance. I think this is more important for Binance and he's necessarily letting on. Of course, this is a bigger repercussions for the crypto industry. Stablecoins are the denominator for all trading activity. It used to be Bitcoin. If you wanted to buy Ether or another, uh, another coin out there, you would use Bitcoin as a denominator. Nowadays, you use a stablecoin, and BUSD is one of the three largest stablecoins. So if the SEC does go against the stablecoin issuer Paxos, it does succeed in labeling it an unregistered security. Well, we have big problems for the crypto industry. Wendy, you are a trader on the show. Tell me a little bit what's going on here. Is this FUD or not? This is actually kind of bearish for me. I have a lot of thoughts on this, but I want to kind of talk about it from a trader's perspective. I remember when I first started trading, you always traded in like Bitcoin pairs and you had to learn how to you know, do the dosage calculations. And I say it like that is because I worked in healthcare and we had to convert stuff, whatever. But 
I think it was so cool to be able to actually have more options of stable coins to trade in depending on what exchange you're using and whatnot. I remember for a long time, there was only Tether and it was kind of complex because not all exchanges had it. And we didn't have, we had MetaMask, but people weren't really using MetaMask like that. But so this is a sad story to me to kind of see this happen, especially with finance, because, you know, I don't like to see negative competition in the market when it impacts other people. And I also think that this is par for the core for when we do get a CBDC that's going to be coming in. I think that the U.S. government needs to have complete control before that they could go ahead and issue that. And I do think that the stablecoin or the CBDC will be USDC for reasons. I don't think I need to get my tinfoil crown on, but I don't like that there's all this drama happening with the stable coins. We do need to actually have stable coins that make trading a lot easier and they make investing a lot easier for average folks because you're not having to convert and do all that stuff all the time. So I don't know. That's my take on it. I'm not happy about all the drama behind the scenes, but it is crypto. I think it was Jen's hand that was up. It was. Mm-hmm. On the news, withdrawals on Binance surged. So about $831 million left Binance in the last 24 hours. And so I think CZ's comments really are to ease users, to ease customers, right? This is not the first time in this market that we've seen that mass amount of withdrawals on Binance, especially with, with what's happening with centralized exchanges. I think CZ, I, I remember, I think it was like probably a year and a half ago on the show, I brought up that um, game show, you know, where people get hit by like all of the like large Q-tips and things. And I said, Finance is like going through that with regulations and then things eased with Binance. And I feel like CZ is back out here in the public, you know, just trying not to get hit by things. And he so far is doing a good job. So far, Binance is showing that they can stand the large withdrawals. They can stand the regulatory news and the negative news with centralized exchanges. So I'm going to simp for Binance during this segment and say, I think that they have done a great job given everything that's come their way, Zach. It's American Gladiators. I don't know if they struck American from the title (laughs) in Canada, but it's American Gladiators is the show that you're referencing, which is the best show of all time. Anyway, uh, I think it's a little bit suspect that CZ is throwing Paxos under the bus here a little bit, right? I think when BUSD came out with Paxos' involvement, it was like a credibility win for Binance. It's like, hey, we're working with like a highly regulated firm in the US to issue this stablecoin that has our name on it. This is awesome. We rule. This is great. So now for this to be occurring here uh, when times aren't, aren't quite as good, it seems a bit, bit suspect to me. And I think that's a little bit of a weird move. I believe that there are two BUSDs, and I'm going to just sound the alarm on this one over and over again. There's like the proper BUSD with reserves that exist through Paxos. There's also the BUSD that exists on BNB chain. So there, are, there is sort of this confusion of things that is occurring here. Um, so I think just that added note of clarity is important. But I want to throw it to Jen for her thoughts. She, she raised her hand. Yeah, I, I, I saw that CZ was also addressing the reports that Circle was the one to uh, alert regulators to look into this. And he said, you know, he doesn't really believe that Circle would do that. A professional industry peer would want to do that to another industry peer. I thought that was rich coming from CZ. So I'm just going to flip sides. I simped at the beginning of the segment and I was like, CZ, aren't you the one who's out here always calling out the, all your other industry peers? So I thought that was kind of hilarious. And I wonder what the motivation was there, Wendy. I just think there's a lot of stuff happening behind the scenes that we don't know about. And there's a lot of meeting going on. Things are going to get very, 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 very interesting. And I'm glad that CZ is out and talking about this. And I just want to know, if the is the report actually true? Did Circle actually blow the whistle, as Too Short would say? 
Well, that's a good two short reference, Wendy. I appreciate that. The, the, the Bay Area rap scene, <laughs> undervalued. But I don't think that they're going to probably come out and say one way or the other whether or not they snitch on a competitor in this instance. So this one will probably have to remain within the realm of reported via unnamed sources. But I could be wrong. We, we may see some clarity on that. Who knows? Last point I want to bring up really quick is that Reuters report from early January that did disclose that there was a $1 billion shortfall in BOSD in its history, right? So not currently, but in its history, there had been a shortfall that had not been caught by the Binance team. Uh, again, that might be the other BSD that you are speaking about here, Zach, but at the very least, it doesn't instill a lot of confidence in the whole stablecoin regime. Jen, let's go over to you. Let's talk about Gary Gensler. All right. The SEC is reportedly planning to propose rule changes that would make it harder for hedge funds, private equity firms, and pension funds to work with crypto firms. This is according to a report by Bloomberg. This would make it more difficult for crypto companies to become qualified custodians. Qualified custodians hold client assets for money managers. Zach, I'm going to kick this one off to you. We spent so much time two years ago talking about all of these institutional players getting into crypto. And here we are. It's 2023 and the SEC is cracking down. What do you make of this? Full court press, eh? Uh, crazy to see just the full force of the regulatory apparatus. I think responding to the implosions that we saw most recently and most visibly with FTX and sort of ticking the boxes and kind of assessing the landscape and taking action where they see fit. And it seems like it's this coordinated like strike like that is rapid just because the timing is happening. I would venture that this is sort of normal bureaucratic process unfolding after everything hit the fan in November. Everyone's trusted crypto cover boy, Sam Bankman Fried, turned out to be an alleged fraudster. And folks at the SEC like hit the panic button. And I think that's what we're seeing come to bear now based on some of these reports and some of these announcements uh, around SEC enforcement actions and other sort of things that they're looking into as it relates to the crypto economy. So this is another sort of prong of that, I'd imagine. You know, it is pretty wild to see it all unfold as though it is like a coordinated crackdown. But who knows? Who knows? It is, it is wild, though. My question would be, I get that they want to make it harder for crypto firms to kind of operate in the U.S., but at the same time, does this directly impact retail? Because isn't for hedge funds, don't they have to work with like accredited investors and you know, people from that spectrum, from traditional finance? So how is this actually impacting retail? I guess the only way that it would impact retail, and I'm not going to answer my own question, I'm just talking out loud, but I guess the only way that this would impact retail, if there's pension funds or different things that are being used to invest in these hedge funds and that could cause you know, some sort of liquidity issue or some type of maybe crypto chapter 11 bankruptcy like we've seen. Um, but I just don't understand why they're making this priority when we still don't have like transparent guidelines for operating in crypto in the United States of America. Wouldn't that be more important to actually protect retail? I want to sag it here and talk about two different viewpoints. One is like the very crypto angle that sees like all these different headlines uh, being an attack on the industry. And the other viewpoint being more traditional saying that crypto has been running a scan so law and they need to slap on the wrist and maybe something a little bit harder. The first one, an Operation Chokepoint 2.0, there's a blog post that came up from Nick Carter last week on Pirate Wires, which is a Substack run by a VC. And it talks about all these different headlines we've seen over the last six months with the SEC, the DOJ, uh, New York regulators. They're choking down on crypto and they're pulling liquidity out of the system. And this headline would sort of fall into that, right? Where the SEC 
is it allowing these pension funds to move money into crypto or work with crypto funds? And they're publicizing this, right? Right in the way that they're making it public, they're making it known that, and we don't want you to work with it. On the other side of the table, we have this TradFi perspective that says like, you guys have not been operating according to securities laws. You guys have been operating outside of it. I think this was put really well in a nice uh, piece by um, uh, Matt Levine yesterday in his article. He said that, quote, imagine that you are a financial regulator and considering the three general propositions. One, there is some crypto entity, some company that does something in the crypto industry. Two, regular people give it their dollars or crypto for some purpose. Three, it gives them back some sort of crypto receipt saying we owe you $1 or we owe you one crypto or whatever. At a very high level of generality, what do you think about that? What would you say? In 2013, you'd probably think, oh yes, this entity is doing fraud and plans to steal the money. And I think that's how TradFi sees this, right? Where we've been operating these crypto dollar schemes where it's just a lot of receipts and they're operating outside laws. And so I think that's where we see like the SEC is going against people. We're seeing these uh, alphabet soup agencies going against crypto. And we really do have two different perspectives here, the industry view and the TradFi view. And it's only going to get more messy because people are speaking past each other. Yeah, I was just going to say, I like Zach's theory that the SEC probably hit the panic button when the industry uh, imploded. Just a little, I guess, history to add to that. In 2020 is actually the first time when the SEC said that they were grappling with this problem. When they were trying to determine who can be a qualified custodian of crypto assets. They asked for public feedback and then we didn't really hear much uh, since then. And for this to move forward, the majority of the SEC would have to approve it. It would then go out for public comment again, and then the SEC would have to vote for this to be uh, something that gets put into place. Wendy, I'll give it to you for last thoughts, though. I just want the SEC to do right by retail, and I actually wish that they could be abolished and we can have a brand new agency that is comprised of crypto experts and also government or public servants to kind of give us some sort of clear guidelines. What a take. Now, that would be a Valentine's present for the industry, wouldn't it? Wow, a timely segue, tie into the date. Happy February 14th, everybody. Got to talk about this story because it's kind of a nothing burger, but we'll talk about it. Sam Bankman-Fried, Super Bowl VPN use prompts government concern. Oh my, was Sam a bad, bad boy? It looks like he was. Apparently, prosecutors have accused SBF of using a VPN in the past two weeks to access the internet. Oh, my. They found out from data obtained through the use of a pen register on his Gmail account, and defense maintains that Sam was not using a VPN for improper purposes. People say that he used it to watch the game because he had some sort of NFL pass or whatnot in the Bahamas, and he had to use it to access it. Um, again, I really think with these types of stories, they're kind of distractions from really important things that are happening in the news. And again, I feel like he was given so many privileges because they wanted to catch him doing bad things. And I'm sure that they will continue to get additional evidence of his wrongdoings by him just being kind of an entitled kid and continuing to make very terrible decisions. Zach, your hand was up. Go ahead and take it. I mean, the specifics of the story, this, this story just keeps getting better. Not because it like this was a guy who was at the Super Bowl last year. With like Shaq, he was wearing like Balenciaga sneakers. He was balling. He was on top of the world at the very last Super Bowl. And now he's getting slapped down by a judge for trying to watch the Super Bowl while under house arrest while using a VPN. Just the rags to riches and then riches to rags here keeps delivering on these details. And this one to me is especially poignant to see the trajectory of this person 
who had captivated America's attention and is now just, again, getting slapped around by a judge saying, no, you can't do that. So that to me is just, that's all I want to say about that one. This is, it's just, it's just, it's rich. Wendy, I, I know you want to go in though. So I'm gonna, I got to fact check you. I don't ever think he had Balenciaga shoes. I feel like they were always New Balances. No, don't make me. Don't make me. Go. I'm going to go, Google it. I'm going to go yeah. Google it. I'll be back I, in a bit. Let Zach go and check. <laughs> yeah, we got to get to the history corner. Will, can you get it? Can you take this, please? <laughs> we can go back one year and he was wearing uh, those shoes. Zach, Zach knows. Zach always has the receipts on the uh, SBS footwear. Will uh, didn't even this verify. This story is interesting. Like Zach said it. No, I don't true. need to verify it. I, I, I believe Zach. Go for it. No, let's, let's talk about the story. I think it actually matters more than when he's letting on. So I actually disagree with you. The fact that he's using a VPN means that he could access accounts that have crypto on them. That could be crypto that is customer funds that he transferred into his own ownership. And people would have a hard time knowing if those are his funds or not, if he can access them or not, where they are parked, if he's going to be able to take custody of them. That's the thing about digital assets, right? Like you can be at your parents' house in California under lock and key with an ankle monitor on, and you can still move those assets into your own custody and then go spend them somewhere else online. So yes, they're probably going to be watching this, but imagine him having you know 500 Bitcoin, 50 Bitcoin from customers that he took into his own possession. He had it parked in some wallet we didn't know about or on some other exchange. He takes custody of it. He goes possibly to prison, still under investigation, obviously, but possibly goes to prison for a while, comes back out, and he has all this Bitcoin that he was just looking for. I mean, it's kind of like a, a pirate story, right? He's got his little treasure chest and he can just wait till, till he gets out. So I think this is an important story, something to definitely watch. Jen, I'll throw it over to you. Yeah, I mean, Sam, every time I read a story about Sam, I really believe that he thinks he's above the law. He thinks he's untouchable. I think this time he spent in the spotlight really created this ego that he has that hasn't been broken down yet. I really think he still believes that he can do whatever he wants and possibly the people around him are enabling him in this thought process. The fact that he's using a VPN while he's on house arrest, being accused of these really, really great crimes is just incredible to me. And I'm here in Canada. I have basic cable and I have access to the Super Bowl. So like, do, I don't know how it works in the US. You need to pay to watch the Super Bowl. You do. Okay. Interesting. That's interesting. No, well, you if I was in, don't. No, no, you don't. You okay. I was yeah. nodding about other Still stuff. Like, oh, okay. So why? Yeah. So this whole story that his defense has doesn't really make sense to me. But if I was, you know, in Sam's position and didn't have access to see that Rihanna concert, I'd also use a VPN. So like, Zach, back to right. you. Okay. I'm with you. <laughs> you guys brought this story back into relevance. So Will, compelling argument. I agree. Wendy, I cannot verify the type of sneaker that he was wearing uh -oh. last year. I told you. Zach, I cannot I verify. You. I cannot verify. I'm going to have to do some additional well, digging. that'll teach you. Top but tier just, reporting. Top tier. I'm just tier. saying. I'm just saying. But no, I mean, no. So maybe the details don't add up on this story that, that Sam Bankman-Fried's lawyers are telling the judge. It is a bit suspect. And I agree, Will, that there are broader ramifications to the obfuscation techniques that this guy's using now and has used for a long time in running his business as evidenced by public filings relating to these proceedings. But yeah, I don't know. Last thoughts on this one, Will? 
I think I'm right, and I'm disappointed that you got the shoe game wrong. So we'll we'll talk I'm about gonna, that offline. Uh, this is the I'm first gonna, time that I'm Will's been disappointed myself. in Zach on this show. I swear, I saw an outfit <laughs> breakdown. It was like free T-shirt, like thirty dollars shorts, and like Balenciaga sneakers. And if anyone has that selfie <laughs> meme, please send it to me. I'm almost positive I could be making it up. Anyway, we're changing gears. The crypto layoffs continue. Crypto layoffs. There's a lot of them over the last eight to ten months. And Magic Eden is now on that list. Now, Magic Eden is one of the more prominent Solana-based NFT marketplaces. They've expanded to other chains. They're going to bring their marketplace to multiple NFT communities. But they've, to date, been known as sort of the open sea of Solana. They're announcing today that they're laying off 22 staff. It's unclear what the total headcount is. So we don't know what that is in percentage terms. Whether that's big or large is a bit hard to assess at this point. But co-founder Jack Liu took to Twitter and posted an internal memo that he sent to his staff announcing that they were also pursuing layoffs like many other crypto firms in the space over the last few months. So yeah, we've had the layoff story uh, time and time again, both in NFTs and beyond. I'm going to toss this straight to Jen for her thoughts. Is this an NFT story? Is this just a crypto winter story? What's your take on this one? I think it's a crypto winter story. I think that the Solana ecosystem is suffering. We have Sam Bankman free to thank for that. And it's just like a broader crypto winter story, right? I, this isn't the only NFT marketplace that's had layoffs. Super Rare cut staff by 30%. OpenSea laid off, I think, almost 20% of staff. I feel so dumb for that small... I had like an outburst on the show before the Super Bowl where I was like, yeah, it's okay to advertise NFTs during the Super Bowl. It's not. It's crypto winter. <laughs> I think that it's time to, to build. And this just makes sense, right? I think what they said in the story was that they're focusing on you know um, different product offerings and possibly different business models. I think this is the time to focus on that. I don't think a whole bunch of new customers are coming into the NFT space. So unfortunately, I think it makes sense. But from a business perspective, for the NFT platforms that want to stay alive throughout this bear market, uh, I, it just makes sense to cut staff for now. Will, what do you got? I think you have to contextualize this within like tech layoffs as well, right? Because it's not just Bitcoin and crypto people who are getting laid off. It's also a lot of tech people. So like Meta, Amazon, Netflix, like they're all laying people off. And the question is like, is it too much? Is it too little? And we don't really quite know right now because the Fed is doing its thing. Inflation's still high, but jobs are still really tight, right? Like it's still pretty easy to get a job. If you look at it statistically, uh, there's still like a lot of openings out there. For crypto, obviously, it's like a little bit different because you have to have like a lot of tribal knowledge, right? You can't just walk into a crypto job as easily as you can walk into any other job. And tech itself is also pretty hard to walk into because you have to have some context about what a tech job means. You have to be a software developer. You don't have to, you don't have to market tech stacks, stuff like that. So it's a little bit more context there. But I do see these stories in light of like the tech layoffs that's been happening lately. Uh, Odd Lots, which is a Bloomberg podcast, but everyone should go listen to. I had a podcast come out about this two days ago talking about like the different tech layoffs. Basically, the story there was like the layoffs haven't been as severe as the hiring spree was the last two to three years. And that's something we haven't really talked about. Yes, there's been about 30,000 job layoffs in crypto. There's also a tremendous hiring spree over the last few years, right? Everyone was hiring at a very fast clip. So I'd love to see those numbers contextualized. I don't think we have that necessarily because it's hard to get a good grip on that information. But I think it would give us like a little bit more of a note about like where we are from an industry sense. I actually am kind of curious to see how much vault, because Magic Eden was initially a Solana-based NFT trading platform. I would like to see the volume there to see if there was like a big decrease as opposed 
um, and compare it to Ethereum NFT trading and see if there's a big decrease there and see maybe that's the, one of the reasons why that they are laying people off. Um, but kind of in closing, I do want to say that I don't believe the jobs report that we're getting in the US and I just think the numbers are immensely skewed and I, yeah, I'm just not happy about it. Where's and your tinfoil crown? It's right here. Put back on, Wendy. I didn't get it. I don't believe the job. I don't believe the jobs report. I think that they like to change the values that they're using and the sample size, and they don't account for people that you know that are not going back into the workforce. People that have like three or four jobs at one time, part-time jobs, whatever that may be. So again, I think that all the data is skewed. And yes, the CPI report did come out today as well. (laughs) All right. Well, I found the photo. It was indeed SBF with Shaq. I cannot verify the shoes. I'm gonna have to give this one. To Wendy, it could be New Balances. <laughs> Wendy, <laughs> bravo. Anyway, that's it for the show today. You've been watching the Hash on Taco Tuesday. We are here for you. We're also on the podcast network, the CoinDesk Podcast Network, and everywhere you find your podcasts. That's what podcast people say, right? Anyway, go check it out if you're so inclined. I'm Zach Seward. We got Wendy O, Jen Sanasi, Will Foxley. We'll be back tomorrow. We wish you a happy day. That's it. Happy See day, everybody. Bye. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. These days, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries. And with that, we sent away good jobs and our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make all kinds of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more, right here in the USA. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs in towns and cities across the country. And jobs bring pride. Purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20.